Today we're starting a new series. Uh, I've titled the series, The King Above All Kings. And what better book to look at than the book of Daniel? So if you open your Bibles to the book of Daniel, God is definitely the king of all kings. There's a few kings mentioned in the book of Daniel. Uh, we'll look at King Nebuchadnezzar a little bit today. Later on, there's Belshazzar, Darius, um, and Cyrus and kings like that. And God is the king above all kings. And I've labeled the message today, Confident Faith in a Chaotic World. The reason we can have confident faith in a chaotic world is because we serve the king of all kings. He is God, a very God, king above all kings. He has all authority and all power. So we're going to read down through this first chapter, and then we'll come back and we will unpack it. So follow along. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds, of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. 
In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So we're going to look at four snapshots, kind of a picture of what's going on here this morning. Uh, snapshots that are going on in chapter 1. And the first thing we're going to look at is a bleak situation. It is not looking good. There is a major upheaval. Daniel, at this point in his life, is probably about 14 or 15 years of age. He still has pimples on his face. He's still in school. He's still under his parents' tutelage. And he is hauled off, he is ripped away, stripped from his family, into a foreign land, into a hostile culture, a culture full of idolatry and all kind of sin. And there's where he's at. It's a culture that is not friendly to the Jews. Daniel is ripped away with his friends from his parents, his home, and he's placed in this position to be indoctrinated into a Babylonian system. That's why they give him new names to teach them to think differently, to teach him a different worldview other than the worldview that God would have him know and the one that he grew up with. Now think about this for a moment in our own situation. We are in a similar situation in our country right now. We're in a post-Christian era. We're in a culture that is not kind to Christianity. The world is chaotic. We have a lot going on. This year is an election year. We have a lot of political propaganda going on and people are up in arms about the election. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? A lot of things going on. Even locally, we had flooding. It's like, is God in control? Is he still sovereign? Does he still reign? There was a tornado this past week in Tennessee. The news is flooded with the coronavirus. All these things are happening in our world, and it's like, is God really sovereign? Is he in control of it all? And then we look in our culture and we see things like gender confusion going on incredibly. There's another thing that is, they say is going to be a challenge for pastors in the church. I'm not sure if I can even pronounce it right. Polyamory. I was like, what in the world is polyamory? And it comes from two words, poly, which means many, and amor, which means love. And it's saying that there are many loves and that people can be in multiple people in a relationship. Multiple people in a relationship. It's the practice of and desire for intimate relationships with more than one partner with the informed consent of all partners involved. It's described as consensual, ethical, and responsible, non-monogamous. It's nonsense. But this is the kind of stuff that is filtered into our culture, that's flooding our culture, much like what Daniel was being thrust into in Babylon to brainwash him and to teach him, to pull him away from God, to begin to follow the false gods, 
And that's what our world is at. They, don't, they want to downplay Christianity, downplay God. I recently received a letter from Answers in Genesis who's getting pushback from the Freedom From Religious Foundation who says it's child abuse to expose children to the stories of creation at the Creation Museum as well as the flood story with the Ark Encounter. So this Freedom From Religious Foundation is attempting to block students from public schools from visiting these two places. And they said that any, they have threatened that any school that plans to take students on a field trip to the Creation Museum or the Ark Encounter uh, will be subject to uh, authorities. They said in a letter sent to over a thousand school districts in five states, the Freedom from Religious Foundation warned administrators that bringing children on a field trip to the Creation Museum and Ark Encounter would be a violation of the U.S. Constitution. Ken Ham, however, the founder, went on to say this is wrong, and that he had a constitutional expert respond to this false claim on their behalf. But here's the question, why is the Freedom from Religious Foundation so desperate to stop students from visiting these attractions in the first place? The answer is found in their threat letter. They claim that letting children visit the Creation Museum or the Ark Encounter will undermine what is taught in public school science and history classrooms. Clearly, the FFRC is afraid of children being exposed to the truth. They want to control what our children are being taught. And this is exactly the culture that Daniel was thrust into. They're going to send him to the Babylonian University and they're going to teach him the language and literature and the things that they want him to know and try to brainwash him. He is very impressionable at 14 or 15 years of age. How many parents who have children that age, 14 or 15, feel like your children would be ready to be thrust into that kind of culture? I know when my kids were that age, I would not want them to be thrust into that kind of culture. And yet that's what happened to Daniel. He was ripped out of that. So it is a bleak situation. It is a major upheaval to be ripped out of that, to be relocated, to be re-educated. And yet that's where Daniel finds himself. And if you go back to uh, Genesis chapter 11, you'll recall that they tried to build a tower of Babel which was in Babylon, to reach the sky because they were going to do it their way to reach heaven. That's the kind of place that Daniel found himself in. The second thing we see here, though, is not only the bleak situation, because this is in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, who was an evil king, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And then it says, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. The second part I want us to see, we move from a bleak situation to a bright spot. A bright spot. What is the bright spot? Notice again in verse 2, if you missed it, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah. This was not Nebuchadnezzar's plan. It was God's plan. 
God is the one who initiated that his people were going to be disciplined for their sin and disobedience and failure to listen to God. God is going to discipline his people by hauling them off into Babylonian captivity, and it was under the direction and power and supervision of God. This is a bright spot because wherever God guides people, he will provide for them. He is going to take care of Daniel. He's going to watch out for him and his friends and the whole country of Judah rests on the shoulders of these four young men. Their future, the future of the country, rests on the shoulders of these four young men. And yet God is the one who delivers. It's a bright spot because it reminds us that God is sovereign, and this is filtered throughout this whole chapter. Look down in verse 9. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. Who did that? God did that. Why? Because God is sovereign. He reigns and rules over people, institutions, kings, all those in authority. God caused Daniel to be shown favoritism and sympathy by this official. Look down in verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge, understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. So we see in verse 2, God delivers, God gives his people into their hand. In verse 9, he gives favor to Daniel. And verse 17, he gives learning to these young men. This is the sovereignty of God. Even in the midst of a bleak situation, God is involved. And it's a good reminder to us whether we're dealing with a flood as a farmer or whatever we're dealing with, God is there and he is involved in your situation. No matter how bleak it looks, no matter how bad it gets, God is involved. There is a bright spot. God is sovereign. The king is God's instrument to accomplish his purpose in bringing discipline to his people. God is disciplining his people for two sins. For failing to trust him. He says, you have forsaken me, the spring of living water, according to Jeremiah 2.13, and then secondly, for acting independently of the Lord. They dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that could not hold water. So God in his sovereignty is disciplining his people because they failed to trust him. They failed to listen to him. If we go back into Daniel chapter 9 for a moment, Daniel offers a prayer. And in this prayer, he explains the fact of God's people sinning against the Lord. So let's just look at it briefly. Daniel chapter 9. We won't take the time to read the whole prayer, but you certainly would benefit from it. Beginning in verse 4, he says in Daniel 9, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all those who love him and obey his commands. And then notice what he says, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all people of the land. And he goes on and on and says, we have failed to listen to you. He sent Jeremiah, the prophet, to prophesy against them for 23 years Jeremiah preached to the people 
and told them to turn back to the Lord, and they failed to turn back to the Lord. And so even in the midst of a bleak situation, there's a bright spot because God is sovereign, and in His sovereignty is disciplining His people. And why is He disciplining them? Well, Hebrews 12.10 says, They disciplined us, talking about earthly fathers, for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. You see, the purpose behind living a godly life should not be God's blessing, but rather God's glory. God's glory should be the very thing that we should be searching for. And this was a very specific time. It is 605 B.C. that this has happened. And time is important, isn't it? You changed your clock this morning, hopefully. Um, I, I actually was over here at church early this morning, uh, like I usually am, and my cell phone rang, and I looked, and it was my wife calling. And I was like, what is she calling? Usually she'll send me a text or something, praying for you, whatever, and I thought, what? something must have happened. And she said, uh, did you change all the clocks in the house this morning? I said, actually, I did. <laughs> and uh, it threw her off. She thought she was running an hour later. And, you know, and I had changed them. I thought that would help her, and it actually confused her. So I was trying to help, and it ended up being a confusion. Um, because I hadn't done that in 25 years, I guess that, you know, <laughs> whatever reason, it threw her off. Um, things change when you get older, I guess. You try to eliminate confusion. Um, but the point is... There were three deportations here, 605, 597, 586. I know you kids aren't interested in dates except the one you had Friday night. But over this period of time, three deportations that God's people are hauled off into captivity. It's important because if we go back a little bit further, in 622, King Josiah, we looked at King Jehoiakim here at the opening verse, who's the king of Judah, King Jehoiakim's dad was who? King Josiah. And what did they find in the temple in 622? God's book of the law. It had been lost and they found it in 622. When were they hauled off into captivity? 605. 17 short years from finding the book to not listening to the book. It's not a very long time. It's a reminder to us, and look what we're doing as a country. We start off as a Christian nation, and we keep pushing further and further away from God's book, and I think discipline is around the corner. But there's a bright spot, because when we are disciplined, it's because of the sovereignty of God, because He loves us and cares about us, and He wants us to be made holy. And so that's the encouraging part. Uh, in it. God is in control of human history. So what do I mean when I say God is sovereign? One of the easy definitions maybe to help simplify it, um, I went to uh, gotquestions.org and it said this, God is preeminent in power and authority. He rules the universe The fact that God is sovereign essentially means that he has the power, wisdom, and authority to do anything he chooses within his creation. 
Whether or not he actually exerts that level of control in any given circumstance is actually a completely different question. It's up to him if he wants to exercise that control. But after God's people were in captivity for 70 years, what did God do? He raised up another king in King Cyrus. If you look at verse 21 of our first chapter, Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And if you go back further in the Old Testament, in 2 Chronicles chapter 36 and also Ezra chapter 1, you will see that God used King Cyrus to set his people free so they would go back and rebuild the temple in God's city. Let me just mention a verse in 2 Chronicles 36, 22. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord, listen, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. Who moved his heart? The Lord. Why? Because he's sovereign. He has a purpose and a plan in all that he is doing. So what is the point in all that? We move from a bleak situation to a bright spot, and then here's the reality for all of us to embrace. We are to exercise confident faith in God's sovereign wisdom when life doesn't make sense. Because I'm sure as Daniel was taken away from his family and his friends, he's probably like, will I ever see them again? Can you imagine him the first night pillowing his head in Babylon, wondering what in the world, God, are you doing? We know what he's doing because we have the account, but Daniel's living the account. He doesn't know what's coming. We do because we have the account. But to put ourselves in Daniel's shoes, he doesn't know what's coming. Just like much in our own lives, isn't it? When we're going through something we can't see next week, we can't see next year, we can't see five years from now. And so there are numerous things that happen in our life that don't make sense. On paper, some things just don't add up. A good illustration of this would be my own father. My father pastored a small church for over 40 years, faithfully serving that church. His salary ran into six figures, four boys and two girls. And yet, with Dad's small paycheck, our family was always taken care of. I don't ever remember going hungry. I don't ever remember not having clothes to wear, shelter over my head, um, feeling safe, secure. Um, My dad sometimes did odd jobs on the side, but he always managed to make it work. But on paper, I mean, I kind of knew a little bit about my dad's paycheck. On paper, I have no idea how he did it. It was just the sovereignty and the goodness of God and his provision in our lives. There are some things in life that God will never give us answers for as well. For instance, I don't think Pam and I will ever know why our third child was taken in miscarriage. I don't think God will will tell us the answer to that on this side of eternity. We have to trust God's wisdom for what we do not know. I have never understood as a teenager, nor do I understand it now, why God would take a mother at 41 years of age with leukemia 
when she had eight children and most of whom were still in the home. I don't understand that. But I do know that God is sovereign and he reigns and rules and he gives us what we need each day as we trust him. You see, human calculations are inadequate for divine equations. And there are many divine equations in our life that human calculations do not figure. We can't figure them out. We have to trust God. And as we go through this book of Daniel, you're going to see that God not only preserved Daniel, but God raised him up along with the Hebrew children. Why? For his purpose, for his honor, for his glory. And it was Daniel's confident faith in God's sovereign wisdom that allowed God to work in his life. He recognized it was God all along. The third aspect we see here in this story is a bold stand. A bold stand. Look down in verse 8. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. He was resolved. He had a conviction in his life about food. Why? Because the Jews had strict dietary laws. And he did not want to do anything to ruin his testimony even if it was an external thing, he did not want to do something that would ruin his testimony. He had a conviction. This conviction was not from his parents or his peers. It was from his relationship with God, and he would not compromise at all. But the other thing he did, which I think is really neat, is down in verse 9. It says, God caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. So God was also at work on Daniel's behalf and the official's afraid. He says, if I don't give you the food to sign you, the king might have my head. And what does Daniel do? He comes up with a creative solution to the problem. You see, sometimes we want to confront things head on, and we should. But there's other times God wants us to come up with a creative solution, a creative alternative that God wants us to do to get along with other people or whatever we need to do. I remember a young gal a number of years ago, she was having trouble on her job getting along with someone, and, and she had tried everything she could. She changed her schedule with this gal, would change days off with her, would change the time she would come in to try to get along with her, and yet this gal refused to get along with her. And she's like, what do I do? I said, well, what I would do, I would encourage you to go back and sit down with her and share with her the things you have tried to do to get along. Share with her how you've changed your days off. Share with her how you've changed your schedule to try to get along with her. And ask her, is there anything else I can do to improve our relationship because I want it to get along? And she did that. And I said, if that doesn't work, then I said, you need to go back to her again and say, you know, we sat down and we tried to work this out and it hasn't worked out, so let's you and I go sit down with the supervisor and see if we can figure this out so that we can, because we need to learn how to work together and make it work. And you know, when she did that, she came back and said, things have changed. And I think it was God's favor that she graciously, kindly went back and tried to put the burden on her 
And that's what Daniel did, and God blessed him for that. So yeah, there are times we need to be like this, but there's other times we need to say, God, is there a creative solution here? Is there a creative alternative that I can use to honor you in all that I'm doing? And we know then that Daniel asked for a special diet, the Daniel diet, right? Maybe we should write a book, I don't know. The interesting thing is, though, when you look in Scripture and you look at the Daniel diet, they actually got fatter, (laughs) not skinnier. I don't know if that's the kind of diet you're looking for. Uh, They actually got fatter. Here's the question, though. How can you eat vegetables and get fatter? How does that work? Because you don't usually get fatter on carrots and celery. I'll tell you how. The sovereignty of God and the grace of God. God was at work in Daniel and his friends' lives, and he had a plan and a purpose, and he was not going to be stopped so that God showed favor to them in their obedience to the Lord. What an encouraging thing that is, isn't it? He exercised his confident faith in God's sovereign wisdom, and God did not let him down. That's our God. Somebody made this statement, and I want to share it with you. I probably should have put it on an overhead, but I'll make it a couple times if you want to jot it down. I found it very encouraging. Faith is not believing in spite of the evidence. Faith is obeying in spite of the consequences. Let me say it again. Faith is not believing in spite of the evidence. Faith is obeying in spite of the consequences. And that's where Daniel was. Daniel was at the point in his life where he says, I don't know what the consequences are going to be, but this is my conviction, this is my stand, this is what I'm doing, and I'll let the consequences be what they may. And he took a stand. He recognized that God is more powerful than any earthly power. Daniel, as a young teenager, believed that. What a challenge to teenagers. What a challenge to all of us that we really believe in the sovereignty of God and who He is. If we go into the New Testament in Acts chapter 12, King Herod is arresting people who belong to the church. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. He had Peter put in prison to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. That sounds like overkill to me. (laughs) All these guards, right? And what what happens? The church prays to God for Peter, and he can't get out. Wrong. (laughs) The angel of the Lord smacks Peter on the side. The chains fall off his hands. He goes out, and the gate opens by itself. Sounds like a sci-fi movie. (laughs) And he's free. And then what happens to Herod in the same chapter who were putting the Christians in prison? In Acts 12, 21, it says, On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne. He delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. How powerful is Herod? (laughs) 
and the hand of God not very powerful. Why? Because Proverbs, what's it say in 21? The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it however he wants. He turns it however he wants. And then it says this after Herod died. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. The very thing that he was trying to do is stop God's people and it spread. Well, the fourth one we see here is a blessed skill. Notice down in verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Who gave that? God did. He's sovereign. He gave them a blessed skill that comes from his hand. Why? Because he had a plan to use them for his honor and his glory. Has God given you skills? He has. Some people are skilled at working with their hands, building things, sewing things, baking things, all those things. Are you using those skills to further God's kingdom? God has given you those skills sovereignly. Are you using them to build your kingdom, his kingdom? What about the gift of communication? Some people have a gift of communication to be able to communicate. You're a teacher. You're a counselor, educator, whatever. Um, are you using those gifts for God's kingdom? Some people have the ability to manage and organize people. Are you using those gifts for God's kingdom, God's glory? Some people have a gift of working with children, teenagers, working with the youth. Whatever, are you using those gifts and talents for God's kingdom? It's a blessed skill that God has given to us, and we should use them to further his kingdom. Some have the ability to do music. Emily played the trumpet beautifully this morning, didn't she? And her music and singing, and some of the young people that God has blessed us with musically, are you using those gifts for the Lord to further his kingdom? That's what Daniel wanted to do, and that's what Daniel did. By the grace of God. You see, really, we, we tend to lift Daniel way up here. And while he was a great man, it was his great God. See, here's what God does. He actually makes us better than we are if we're in his hands. He makes us bigger than we are. He makes us better than we are because of his sovereign power and his plan to use us. He makes us better than we are, bigger than we are. And he's able to reduce other people. He took Pharaoh, and what did he do to Pharaoh? I mean, they're in Egyptian bondage for 400 years, and what does he do? He hardens his heart against the Lord. He destroys them. He parts the Red Sea. He feeds his children. I mean, he does all these things. And you look through the Old Testament, all these things that he does to show that he is sovereign. He says, I do it for my purpose. He did it for his sovereign purpose, that his power would be displayed, is what the scripture says in Romans chapter 9. So let's exercise confident faith in God's sovereign wisdom when life doesn't make sense. 
And as we are raising our kids, the greatest thing you will teach your kids is about the sovereignty of God and his power and his wisdom in their lives. There's a little book, I meant to bring it up to the pulpit, uh, but it's called Wonderful. Maybe you've seen it. Stephen and Alex Kendrick uh, wrote this book for kids, but I'm telling you, it's for adults as well. Uh, And it talks about our identity. It talks about God's, that we are loved, and all these things that God does for us, in us, through us. And it's a great resource. If If you have young children, I'd say even teenagers, well, can I tell them? We gave it to our boys. (laughs) It looks like a kid's book, but they have loved it. Anything you can do to get in their hands to teach them about the sovereignty of God. Because see, here's what's happened. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we do know who holds tomorrow. And he is sovereign. And he is reigning and ruling in our lives. And I'm so thankful. Nothing is going to happen to this country. Everybody's like, what's going to happen to the election? Uh, It will happen the way God wants it to happen. And if we get the wrong person in there, it's because God is trying to bring discipline to us and teach us. But God, God has America in the palm of his hand just like he does the whole world. He's got the whole world in his hands. Let's dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to stand with conviction to a world that is trying to push us down. We're going to stand up to exalt our sovereign king. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.